Okay, well, it's, it's my privilege, as I said, to be with you again tonight and to open the Word of God. You know, if you've been here for my most recent talks, that we're following along in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter 3 again. This morning we left off at verse 16. And if you were not here this morning, where were you? Um, And if you were here, or if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to the audio on my website. But if you were here, you know that we have been just going through this book. And I've kind of titled this series, though I'm not even sure if I've ever mentioned the title, um, kind of Joy in the Journey. And one of the things that I like about this book is the juxtaposition of the heavenly duties that we have and the earthly duties that we have and how they fit together. How um, one is not necessarily more important than the other in the sense that God has duties for us to do on earth and he has reasons to want us in heaven. Remember in the first chapter, Paul says, I have a desire to be with you and I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better which in some ways it is, because we should keep our mind on things above. However, it was not God's plan for Paul at this time to be taken away from the earth because he had a job for Paul to do and things that he needed Paul to accomplish before Paul could later write in Second Timothy that he had finished the course, he had fought the fight and kept the faith. And so I think it's interesting how uh, they'll go from a heavenly concern to an earthly concern uh, back to a heavenly concern and then uh, again to earthly concerns just to keep us in mind to help us bear in mind that both of these things are important so I'm going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 if you would like to follow along Um, it says brethren be followers together of me and mark me Uh, Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample or example for many walk of whom I have told you often and now even weeping that are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And, first of all, if you're taking notes, the first point I want to make today is Paul's talking about here, the final reward of following Christ. That's the first point we're going to talk about. The final reward following Christ. So Paul is talking about um, what God is going to do in the end of time. He's going to change our vile bodies into uh, glorious bodies. And this has particular resonance with me because in a lot of ways I have a um, a, a vile body. My body doesn't like to do what I want it to do. 
My brain says, get up and walk, and my body doesn't listen. <laughs> um, and so I rely on a lot of um, people to help me do what I need to do. Um, even even getting uh, into uh, the Burrell's house this afternoon and then back out and back out here to, to preach to you tonight took the the care and help of my brother and my good friend Ben Biorley, without whom I would not be here today. And so um, everything, every day I have a reminder, a, a visible reminder of the fact that I have a, a vile body. And that's one reason why I thank God today for my physical disability. Because there's a lot of people that physically they're okay, so they don't realize that they have a vile body. They think that here on earth is the best it's going to get. Everything's going pretty well. So they don't have much to look forward to. But I'm thankful that I do. And that um, that this life is not all there is to offer. Because if this life was all there was to offer, or all there was to look forward to, I would spend the rest of my days feeling like I got an extremely bum rap, which is something that I felt for 10 years, 14 years. So I don't want to go back to being that person. But I have hope in Jesus Christ. So praise to Him that I don't have to go back there. There's a couple, just a couple points I want to bring out of these last few verses in Philippians 3 before we go on to Philippians 4. The first one that jumps out at me right away is when he says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a humbling statement right there. That Paul was living in such a way that he was able to say with all sincerity, this isn't a prideful statement. This is a statement of saying, God has blessed me because I'm living this way and because He's blessed me for living this way, He can bless you. So therefore, be followers together of me and mark them that walk the way that I walk so that you can have us for an example. Remember, we talked um, earlier about Epaphroditus and Timothy. Bringing the godly expectations and the godly character qualities down to a human level because these were human beings who, with all their failures, were still living out what God called them to live out. So Paul is just saying here, um, I've been an example to you. You can follow me because I'm following Christ. And what a challenge to us to be in a place of following Christ that we can say with all sincerity, follow me. Because you know, the bottom line is that people will follow you no matter who you are, no matter where you are. The question isn't whether they will follow you. The question is where are you leading them? Because no matter who you are, whatever your walk of life, there's always going to be people that are following you and watching you. And as uh, as the oldest of 11 children, I... I've seen this up close and personal as I was growing up. My siblings will copy a lot of times what I say and what I do. And if what I say and what I do doesn't line up with what God would have me say or do, 
then I get a, a visible reminder of what I did or said often that wasn't honoring because they emulate me. And I'm sure each of you can think of certain people, if you really think it through, that emulate you, that look to you for guidance, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, and you need to be minded to be a godly example. And then Paul talks about the people that aren't following Christ. He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. And they mind earthly things. You know, I, I'm a sports fan. I like a, a good baseball game or a, a football game um, on the weekends. But I also know that for a lot of these people, the best that they think they have to offer is what they have to offer on the, on the football field or on the baseball field. And so when they get to the end of their career, it's hard for them to retire and move on because that's all they've ever known. That puts them in the spotlight. That gives them affirmation that they so badly need. And so it's hard to say goodbye because they're minding earthly things because they care more about human accolades than about God's approval. It's the same thing with the Pharisees in the New Testament. The Pharisees sought man's approval. And Jesus told them, he said, you've got all the approval you're ever going to get. And when you get to the end of your life, you're going to find out that that wasn't enough because I'm going to deal with you. And I'm going to deal with you severely. Jesus didn't mince words. He was very open and brutal to them because that's, that's what they needed him to be. And some of them, like Nicodemus finally got the message that he was who he said he was and that he was going to do what he said he would do. And so we can thank him for that. But the point is that God is very serious with these things. And then he's talking about our focus. Our focus needs to be on heaven and our final reward which is getting a new body and getting crowns from God for our works. But they're not crowns so that we can keep them and wear them on our heads and, and boast about how much we did for the Lord. No. The Bible seems to indicate that we're going to cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus who alone is worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. Because it's not anything that we did. It's what He did. It amazes me that we were vile sinners and yet not only did He save us, but He gives us the opportunity to be rewarded for the things that we do even though without Him we could do nothing. How does that even make sense? It doesn't. But God said it, so I believe it. And I hope that you will too. I wonder if someone could look up for me Colossians 3. Verses 1 and 3, just to underscore um, this point, and then we will move on. 1 to 3? Uh, yeah, go ahead and read 1 to 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Okay, so this is this is an issue of Paul seeing that the Colossians, you know, I don't know if the Colossians didn't have were struggling with their focus, or if he was just reminding them to continue to have their focus on things above, because it can be so easy to get distracted by the things of this earth. And so, so Paul is saying, your life is hidden with Christ, and your your future is more important than what's going on here. So he's saying, set your mind on things above. You know, realize that this this life is temporal. I've really been convicted over the last year or so that I need to be doing as much as I can for him because I don't know uh, how much time he's going to give me. Whether it's three years or 50 years. But whatever the case may be, I want to be faithful. And so I've really tried to to seek Him in a new way over the past year. And He's really starting to really bless that. But we need to keep in mind that um, there is a final reward. Uh, there is a crown of life for those who love His appearing. And so we need to be ready and prepared. But again, you know, I, I told you, I talked about earlier how the... The book of Philippians seems to, to be a pendulum swing between uh, life um, life in heaven and life on earth. Because God didn't take us out of the world. So now we're going to look at some more practical stuff. And it says, in and this is the second point, following Christ in the meantime. You know, you... You read this passage like we just read about God giving us, um, giving us new bodies and changing our sins, sin natures into perfection. And sometimes I just want to say, okay, God, take me today. Then I don't have to deal with the difficulty that I know is coming up later this week. I remember a few years back, well, several years back now, I we were actually studying Revelation in my church and. Uh, I was getting ready to have back surgery. And I said, you know, if God could come before Thursday, so I wouldn't need to have that back surgery, I would, I would be totally fine with that. And I, I kind of, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. But I actually also remember praying, you know, Lord, if you could come before Thursday, that would be a great thing. And of course, He could have. Um, in His providence, He chose not to. He chose to put me through the trial of of back surgery and four months of recovery. But uh, there were some interesting things that that came along the way. I remember um, shortly after I had the surgery, um, one of the one of the interns came in and says, has he been up to walk around yet? And my dad said, well, we've been praying for his recovery, but we weren't quite sure that it was supposed to do that much. Because the, the intern wasn't aware that I had never walked. And so he thought that I was uh, the typical back patient. And a lot of times when you have back surgery, they want to get you up and walking as soon as possible so that you don't lay dormant and have things atrophy or things go wrong. So it was just kind of interesting. And uh, there was just a little bit of an opportunity to show that we were trusting God, although uh, we didn't expect for a miracle on that that level, but it was just an interesting side story. But anyway, getting back to our passage at hand, Paul is saying, therefore, 
And of course, that means in light of everything we read in chapter 3, therefore, starting in Philippians 4, verse 1, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And so Paul is, again, dealing with the practical, and so he's dealing with, um, he's talking about these people that aren't getting along in the church, and he says, you guys need to be of the same mind. You need to get before the Lord and resolve your differences because you are um, fellow laborers, you are brothers and sisters, and you need to resolve your differences. Um, growing up, I didn't always get along with my siblings the best. And I remember um, probably about close to 10 years ago now, I realized that there were some real issues between me and some of my siblings. So one by one, I went and I took them each out to dinner and I just sat with them and I talked to them about the issues that we've been dealing with in our personal one-on-one relationships. And my relationships with these siblings, they dramatically improved. Whereas if I had just waited and said, well, they were the ones that were wrong, and if they come to me, then we can take care of it. If I just waited, then we probably still wouldn't have these issues resolved. So even if you feel like the other person is primarily at fault, it's a good idea to be to instigate... Um, uh, a, a reconciliation. Now, is that, is that always possible? No. I want to be very clear and say that I'm not saying that if there hasn't been reconciliation, it's your fault. Because there are some times when that does not occur. But I do know that we spend an awful lot of time pointing our fingers at other people and not enough fingers at ourselves. And so we need to be sure that we are um, you know, putting others before ourselves as we, as we studied in Philippians chapter 2 and, and doing our best as much as lies with us to be at peace with all men. So there are mitigating factors, but for the most part, we need to make sure that our relationship with others um, is, is good because 
If we don't have good relationships with others, we cannot have a good relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Peter says to husbands in First Peter, he says, um, he says to dwell with your wife in a manner of knowledge that your prayers be not hindered. So the way that we, the way as husbands that you treat your wife will indicate whether God will have an open prayer line for you. So he takes this very seriously. And then uh, the next, and he talks about these fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. The book of life is what will ultimately guarantee your entrance into heaven. If your name is written in the book of life, it can't be erased. It's permanent. But if it's not, you'll be cast into the lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and there's a fire that will not burn out. Like the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. So this is very serious things. But he's saying that these people that I'm mentioning by name are my fellow laborers. And their names are written in the book of life. And how, how important it is for those of us who know that our names are written in the book of life and know that we realize how much God has done for us, how important is that for us to make sure that we have the proper response to our brothers and sisters? First biologically, and then to our extended family in the family of God. And then, moving along, we see Paul say this. This one always dumbfounds me because he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And that sounds like a good, good platitude. You know, it sounds like a good thing to say. But we say, well, Paul, you must have had it pretty good. And that's why you're saying that because everything is going right for you. But if you think about it, he's writing this from jail. He's probably tied between two guards. And he's still writing, Rejoice in the Lord always. And if he can rejoice in the Lord always when he's between two guards in a, in a jail cell, then I can rejoice in the Lord always when my van breaks down and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for it. I can rejoice in the Lord always when my transportation falls through and I have to cancel with a friend. I don't like to rejoice in those times, but I can. And when you put it in the context of he's rejoicing from a jail cell, I I think I have it pretty good. Because rejoicing from a wheelchair is a little bit easier than... Rejoicing from a cold dungeon. And then uh, he just talks about the way to deal with first people. He's saying, let your moderation. Other versions say, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And then he talks about how we make requests. He says, don't be anxious, but let your requests be known unto God. And sometimes we're afraid to voice our requests. 
Sometimes we wonder why we have to, because God knows everything. But He wants to hear from us. He wants to know that we are willing for Him to move. Sometimes we, we, we want God to do something, but we stand in His way. And we just keep standing there and we wonder why things aren't happening. And it's because we're standing in His way. When if we would just get out of the way and let Him work, He would do things. And I've learned this lesson myself. So I'm speaking to myself as much as to you. And then he talks about the peace of God which passes understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I, I really have sensed this when I've had loved ones die, especially when they're believers, that God gives me a peace that is not explainable. Sometimes I look back after I've been at a funeral or been at the funeral home, and I feel like I should be a wreck, but I'm not because God upheld me. That doesn't mean I don't cry because... Most people that know me know I'm a pretty emotional guy and you've, you've seen from here that I'm a pretty emotional guy. But what it does mean is that I don't have to sorrow as someone who has no hope, but I can sorrow with the expectation of the coming of the Lord in the future. But I still sorrow. Jesus sorrowed when Lazarus died, Jesus sorrowed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though he knew that the end was that he was going to gain the victory, he still sorrowed. He still sorrowed that the sheep were scattered. Even though he knew the end result was going to be that he was going to be able to say to them, Peace be unto you. And he still suffered. Even though he was the Son of God and did nothing wrong, he suffered so that you and I could go free. So, why in the world do we ever think that we have an opportunity to get through life without suffering? I don't understand it. But even I fall into that trap and say, Well, why should I be suffering? I'm doing what you want me to do. When the irony is, as we read this morning, as we talked about this morning, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So you will suffer. And Jesus will guard your hearts and minds. And then as He guards your hearts and minds, He allows you to think His thoughts. He allows you to think about um, the honest things, the true things, the virtuous things, the things of good report. The things that Paul had taught the Philippians to this point. He says, these are the things you should be thinking about. Could someone look up 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8? 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. again love one another and I know that that I kind of tend to harp on this but it really is kind of a, 
a burden of my heart to see the saints loving one another. It's sometimes easier, and it's a shame to say this, but sometimes it's easier to love someone outside of our circle because we don't deal with them every day than it is to love someone in our church or in our family. The Bible says that we're supposed to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. And that kind of goes back to some of that organic stuff that I was talking about. Because if your community sees a group of believers that are loving one another, that are investing in one another, that are pouring into one another, and they see true love, they're going to want a part of that. And that's going to speak louder than any five-point sermon that you deliver on a street corner. And then the next day you're gone. So please, love one another. And out of that love, love others. But start with one another. Maybe it's an issue of picking one person in uh, your church that you can write a note to on a given day. Or um, write an email or some kind of message to them to let them know that you're thinking about and praying about um, things in their life and that you're open to praying about more specific things as, as they give you uh, opportunity. I know I was noticing the other day that I have almost... Um, I have a great number of friends on my Facebook page and not a lot of them do I interact with on a regular basis. So one thing I've been trying to do is to pick one person a day and find something encouraging that I can say to them so that I can give them something to think about so that they can know that I'm thinking about and praying about them. And that helps keep them in my mind and helps it be something more real than just a name on a wall, a random post here and there, that I can love people even that way. And one reason why that kind of uh, interaction is so important to me is that I can't just jump in a car by myself and go visit someone. But my computer puts people in my own living room and allows me to minister to them in the best way that God has given me to do that. And it's going to look different for everyone. So you're going to have to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to minister? And I've had times where I've called people and times where people have called me and one or the other of us will say, it was exactly the right time when I needed it. Um, And it's just amazing the way the Lord works. So if He prompts you, to do something, do it. I learned this the hard way because I had a friend that I um, occasionally would think about and I would say, I want to catch up with this guy. And then a year ago, I found out that he passed away. There was no more opportunity to catch up with him. I'll see him again because he was a believer. But I pay much more attention to the Spirit's promptings now because I don't want to have another one of those things happen. You never know when it'll be the last time that you see someone. So make sure that they know how much you care. 
And that should definitely be happening. If nowhere else, it should be happening in our churches. We should know everybody in our church. We should encourage them. We should feel confident to exhort them and to love them and to help them grow. Third point, continuing on with Philippians chapter 4, is Paul's thankfulness for the Philippians. He was thankful to God. And this is a pretty sizable passage and we won't touch on it in detail, but I'm just going to read these verses here. Uh, Philippians 4, 10 to 18. It says, These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you are also careful but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again to my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an order of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Philippians 4.10-18 And we, we, we see in this in this passage here, in Philippians 4, we see Paul commending the Philippians for giving to his necessity. And it wasn't so much that he needed a gift from them, as much as it was that the fact that they gave to him was showing their spiritual growth. Because they were responding to the Holy Spirit's promptings in giving to Paul, and at this time they were the only church that was giving to his needs. Paul primarily relied on God to provide his needs, but he was thankful that the Philippians were there um, to do that. And uh, he also just talks about contentment. You know, being resolved, whatever state he's in, that he's going to be content. I remember one of my friends made a joke a little bit. She said, I'm resolved in whatever state I am to be content. Right now that state's Michigan. And we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's, that was one of the ways that she looked at this passage was Michigan's where I am, so I'm going to do everything I can to work for the Lord. And if he moves me on, I'll move. But right now I'm in Michigan. And so that was kind of the way that she uh, dealt with that and thought about that whole process. Um, If somebody could look at John 15, verse 5, real quick. We're finishing up very soon here.
All right, so we, we see this underscored idea. Paul already talked about how when they were abiding in Christ, they were bearing fruit. And this is what Jesus says here too. Um, Without me you can do nothing. And then there's also this passage in Philippians that was part of what I read that said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Quite a contrast between all things and nothing. So a question that I have for you tonight is what do you want to be able to do for Christ? All things or nothing? That's a question that we all have to ask. And if we want to be used by Christ, we have to be in a right relationship with Him. If you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you to do so tonight or to talk to someone that knows Him. I would be glad to talk to you more after the service about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ but you feel like you're far away, get on your knees before Him and confess your sin and move back into that right relationship with God. Because He never went anywhere. My dad said when he was in high school there was a poster on his wall on the wall at his public high school probably wouldn't happen today but the poster simply said are you feeling far away from God guess who moved it wasn't God because God always keeps his promises but we we tend to move away from God we tend to put him on a shelf and pull him out when it's convenient But he wants a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour relationship with us. It's the only way to live out the truths in this book is to have that. And now, finishing off with the final point, Paul gives a parting blessing to the Philippians. In the end of this book, he says in 4.19-23, he says, But my God, shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And I just want to bring something out that always catches my eye when I'm reading this last passage. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly those who are of Caesar's household. I don't know how far up on the, on the totem pole of status these people were. Perhaps they were just servants. But they were in Caesar's household. Perhaps even some of the guards that guarded Paul were tied to him while he was writing this book to the Philippians. And as he was writing this book, perhaps their eyes were opened. 
that if the God of the universe was able to come down into human flesh and take on our sins, that perhaps they should find out about this Jesus and they should have a relationship with him too. I don't know all the I don't know the details. All I know is that this is exciting. Tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded by Caesar. It says in Acts that he could have gone free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But he chose to go to to appear before Caesar to give his testimony and because he was in Caesar's household, certain people of that household came to Jesus Christ. And although he would ultimately lose his life for the gospel, he was gratified to know that saints were one to the kingdom because of his obedience to God. As we finish up this study, I want to thank you for your attention. And I want to just remind you that you never know how events and how life is going to string together and how opportunities are going to come about. It's good to think about heaven, but we also need to be about our work here on earth because the night is coming when no man can work. And we need to think about um, how Jesus gave Himself for us, but we also need to think about how we need to give ourselves for others. We need to realize that God gives us every good thing. And you notice this part about Caesar's household coming to Christ. It doesn't happen until the fourth chapter. So perhaps the Philippians are, are thinking all through this book. Why would Paul be in prison in, in Rome? And uh, then they get to the end. And they see this salutation from the saints in Caesar's household. And perhaps it comes together. And they realize that's why. Now, I don't understand all of the whys of my life. Still asking questions every day. But I do know that there have been times, very clearly, when I didn't understand something. But after some time passed, I was able to look back and say, that's why God did that. God is faithful. If you get nothing else out of a study of this book, remember that. God is faithful. In the first um, chapter, it says that He who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In the second chapter, it says that God, it's God who will, will, who, um, will do His will in your life who will who will willing to do of his good pleasure it's God who does the work 
in chapter 3, he says that we should press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that God will, will lead us. And in chapter 4, he says that God will supply all your needs. It all goes back to God and to His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the privilege of being before You. We thank You for the privilege of learning Your Word and the privilege of being able to study Your Word. Lord, we pray that the things that we have learned will not return to us void, but will accomplish the things that You have sent it forth to do. We thank You for this letter from the Apostle Paul, and we pray that we will continue to study it and glean even more, um, and we pray that we will be changed people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.